take a moment and pray. Father, thank you that we have this moment right now to be with you, that we've entered into your kingdom. We want your kingdom to enter into our hearts so that we can be transformed. Thank you that you meet us in that time of praise and adoration, that, Lord, you're meeting us in your word that is true and will not come back void, a word that will change the direction of our lives as we hear that truth. Thank you, Lord, that we come to your altar with expectation to meet you in the breaking of the bread. So be with us now. Meet us in a way that we could leave here different from the way we came in because of meeting with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week uh, we were in Mark chapter 1, and I couldn't get past verse 15. I felt bad. I couldn't preach past one verse in the Bible. And, and although the text moves forward today and we're still in Mark chapter 1 and it's still really important that we understand that authority that we just heard that Jesus has and why he could command um, um, the, the demons to be silent and their recognition of that authority and who he is. And this is just the beginning of, of that mission, that ministry of Christ. And we're going to talk more about Mark chapter 1 verse 20 this Wednesday at Crave and what that authority is. What I want to follow up on is what the Lord's been speaking to me about from that first understanding, what we read last week in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And Jesus said that the time is what? Fulfilled, and his kingdom has what? Come, and God is at hand. And he tells him, repent and believe in the gospel. That he makes this proclamation. It's a gospel understanding of that statement. And you can't move forward till you really understand that. That the time's come, that the kingdom's at hand, and that as a result of that, we have to repent and believe, that we have to turn from those ways. And when we begin to understand that, then we begin to move forward, and that sets the precedence of Jesus' ministry, and that that time was now. And if you remember, I talked about a Kairos time, not the Kronos of the clock, but Kairos of the moment, that right now is decisive. It's an action that takes place. This is happening right now, that that happened 2,000 years ago. It's continuing to happen right now in this moment, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that we should be paying attention and understanding that. And what that means is God's reign is on earth right now. Now what you got to say, that's good news. It might not feel like God's reign is on earth right now. It might feel like he took a nap or something, like, Lord. But he didn't. His reign is on earth right now. And that we understand his reign is on earth. His kingdom is at hand. And, and, and knowing that, we have to repent. We have to turn from our sins. We have to repent that we've tried to be God without God. And we've sought other gods and other things and other idols. And Lord, it's not working. We need you. And that's the repentance, the turn, the pivoting, going in a new direction. And if you remember, I said there's a difference between repentance and regret. That regret is that you feel bad about what you did, but you didn't really repent from it. Regret is a godly sorrow. Repentance is that turn. Repentance is, Lord, I, 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 I turn from this way of my life and now I walk towards you. That's a godly sorrow. That's a, a move within the heart that causes transformation and, and, and changes us. Immediately after he proclaims this message, Jesus goes and begins to gather his disciples. He begins to assemble those who he would call to himself. 
And I love reading Mark because Mark just keeps moving from one point to another from the miracle of what Christ has done. And it's, it's one of my favorite Gospels to read because that's how I like to operate. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go to the next part. What is Jesus doing next? And, and there's this urgency that he talks about because it's an urgent message that we have to know. And that urgency that he talks about, he left from making that statement and he begins in Mark 1, 16-18. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. He's establishing his ministry in Capernaum. And he saw Simon and Andrew. He saw them casting their net into the sea for they were fishermen. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fisher of men. They immediately let their nets down and followed him. I think that's important. The reason I couldn't skip over that and just kind of stay with the one piece is I think we need to hear that. I think we need to hear what Jesus established and how we're supposed to respond to it. The first thing that we need to understand is that God always initiates the call. He initiates it. I know we think we initiated it. We didn't initiate it. God initiated the call. Throughout the Old Testament, we see those who've gone before us. There was Noah and Abraham, Moses, David, Jonah, the prophets. And God initiated a call in their life. And, and then they began to follow after him because he initiated it. And here's what we need to understand. The Lord is not looking for perfection, just a willingness to obey him. Now, I know you guys say that's good news. See, somehow the enemy's got us to believe that if we can get our acts together enough, then we can go to church. And now for some of us, we think that if I can get my act together enough, I can come to church because if I don't get my act together enough before I go to church, when I walk in, the building's going to fall down. <laughs> Ought you think way too highly of yourself and your sin? Oh, they don't want to wait till I go there. It's going to implode. Yeah, it's not. But we get that idea, and then we start to think, well, I've got to get perfection down. I've got to get it right. I've got to get it. And for some of us, we've got a little bit of that spirit of perfectionism, right? And, and we want to get it right, and just the first time, and, and I, I've got to get my act together, and I've got... Jesus came to seek and save that which was what? Lost. And if it was lost, it wasn't perfect. And he meets us right where we're at not in what we try to strive in perfection. He meets us in our worst moment because he loves us. And he gathers us to himself. He initiates the calling. He says, I love you. And how do I know this? Because he was willing to go to a cross and die for our sin. He didn't say, get it together first. He said, I'll take it for you. And now... He initiates this call. And where does he respond as he initiates that? And, and that call comes through this incredible love that he shares with us, his grace and his forgiveness. That's where that call comes from. And what he does is he longs for a relationship with each of us. That God's called each of us sitting here in this room or watching online, each of us. And he longs for this relationship. And Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 16, he says to his disciples, listen, he says, you did not choose me. I chose you. Gets better. And appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit. Well, what kind of fruit? that that fruit should remain in him. And whatever you ask in the Father, 
my name, he will give you. That you would go, that I, I chose you. I appointed you to go. And that he's prepared this place, that he initiated this call. Now what we have to understand is, is 2,000 years ago, a rabbi was in the highest status and, and, and young boys would strive or families would want their child to become like a rabbi. And they would prepare them at a very young age. So, so to, to, to seek after that, what they would do is they would gather the young children and put them in yeshiva in school and begin to equip them and train them. And the very first thing that they would do is they would gather them is they would have to memorize the first five books. They would have to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by the age of five. They'd have that whole group together by the age of five. You can't even remember what you ate for breakfast this morning before you got here. And he'd get this group together and he would establish this group. And what would happen? The ones who couldn't do it wouldn't make the cut. I'm in that group. Some of you perfectionists are in the other group, I know. And they would establish that they would have to have this memorized at five. And then they would move to the next level of that preparation to be maybe possibly a future rabbi. That, that this rigorous learning and memorizing and understanding and getting that deep in their hearts, which is a good thing, that they would understand that word and have that. And then it would go on and the family and the students would begin to seek after the best rabbi. There'd be several, and they would begin to seek after which rabbi could I study under? Which one could I go, go under? And they would present that of the best student. And the rabbi would only have 12, finally. Isn't it interesting how Jesus calls the disciples to himself? That he initiated the call. It wasn't what they did. And who he chose and brought together, and the number was 12. God reversed the understanding that we would understand how he initiates that, that, that he seeks out his disciples, that he initiates the call, that he has this invitation to come and follow him. And that invitation to come follow him comes with a promise. To follow him requires a willingness, a willingness to lay down our plan for his greater plan, for his more excellent plan. Literally, it means to lay down those nets. So what is it that I'm holding on to that I'm willing to lay down? What am I holding back from God? Because what I can tell you is he's not holding back anything from you. His blessings, His love, His grace, His forgiveness, His mercy, His generosity. It's all there. Yet we come to Him and we're holding back. And what He's saying is that if you're going to follow me, you have to lay it down. But we have to ask, what is it that's holding me back? What is that barrier? What is that thing? When Jesus says, follow me, the invitation comes with a promise, a promise of a new life that he gives us. This invitation has a promise that transforms our life. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That promise is that transformed life for a greater purpose to be lived out for him. That now you have a greater purpose in his kingdom. And for all of us, we ask that question probably at some point in time in your life. What's my purpose in life? And we begin to look at different ways. And usually when we're asking that question, it's a worldly purpose. What's my worldly purpose in this life? 
What does it all mean? What is this all about? What, what am I supposed to do? What God says is that, that I've got an incredible purpose for your life. Matter of fact, it's a kingdom purpose. And when we discover it's a life that is in his purpose, that it's a kingdom purpose, it's a life that comes with this promise, it's a life that is eternal in him when we accept that call. That's the transformation that occurs as a result of hearing or, or responding to the come follow me. Now what I want you to hear is that key word in that sentence that Jesus gave was not just follow me, was not just fishers of men, but what he says is, I will make you. I will make you. I will transform you. I will mold you. I will shape you. I will, I will use your gifts, your talents, and all those things that are in your life that I'm going I'm to use for my kingdom purpose. It's a promise. It's a promise of a new vision, of a new mission for your life. And when we accept that invitation to follow Jesus, it's now a life a life that has a greater purpose, a greater meaning, a greater direction, and a greater hope than the rest of the world. That's what he's inviting us into. See, here's what he does. He calls us from an ordinary life to come now participate in his extraordinary life. The world can't promise you that. The world's promises are empty. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter how much influence you have or how many friends you have or, or any of those things. It's ordinary. Now, if we take that step and allow him to take our ordinary life, for him to come participate in our life, then we begin to walk in extraordinary things. And we begin to not do it in our power and strength, but it's by his might, by his spirit in our life. See, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they accepted that invitation without hesitation. There was no delay. They accepted it. For them, it was that Karos moment again. For them, it was a moment of, of action. Like, I have to make a decision. i got to make it now. It's not like when your family's trying to figure out what you're going to order for that evening dinner, where it's indecisive, and I don't know, what do you want? I don't know, what do you want? I don't know, what should we eat? It's not that moment. It's a moment that you, you've heard that truth and you're responding to that gospel message. And, and, and you begin to come follow after him when he makes the invitation. It's a call to be his disciple. It's a call to become a Christ follower. It's not a call just to add Christ into our life some way. It's a call of a radical transformation. That's someone who's willing to lay down those nets or whatever that barrier might be. It's a radical change of direction in your life is what he calls us to. And it's one that won't disappoint. It's a willingness to lose your life to find it. It's a willingness to say, I just surrender it. I've held on with all my might. I've tried to do it my own way. I'm willing to lose it, Lord. You've made the invitation. See, we can't claim to know Christ or to be a Christian if we're not first following after him. We have to answer that call. Now, there's three ways. Three ways we follow Christ. I'm going to give you some, some help here. This is what we have to do. If we're going to call ourselves a disciple or if we're going to say, I'm a Christ follower, here's three things that we got to know. First is we got to imitate Christ because that's our model. And we follow his example. We imitate the example that Jesus has given us to live. And it's all laid out there. 
How we show love and kindness and forgiveness to others for what He's given us. How, how His joy becomes our strength. What we begin to emulate His life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's pretty bold. Can I make that statement? Can I, can I turn to my family and say, Listen, family, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can I look at my neighbor and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? But we're supposed to. That's what happens as a result of letting him in. And Paul says, I'm imitating who he is. I'm going to follow after him. Second thing is that we're to be that Christ follower is, is sacrifice for Christ. And I know as soon as you hear the word sacrifice, you go, oh, here we go. Here it comes. It was all good up to that point you had me. Stick on point one and we're good. But it's not what we think. It's how you look at it. That sacrifice for Christ is by living your life for Christ first. That's the difference. That's how I can do it. To become more Christ-like, and then I begin to live my life for Christ first. That's where the sacrifice begins. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, uh, a, a scripture we might be familiar with, but I'm going to read a different translation. It's the New Living Translation. And it says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And the way to worship him is offering myself back to him, to be that living sacrifice. In all I do, in my time, treasure, and talent, in all that I am, that, that I become, for all he's done for me, I will be, Lord, like you, and I will be that sacrifice. And this word came to mind when I was thinking about that point, and the word is, is called fulcrum. Now, I don't know how many of you know what a fulcrum is. I had to look it up. I heard the word. I kind of understood a word. But I was like, what is this fulcrum about, Lord? What are you saying? And a fulcrum is where a lever rests or is supported on which an object can pivot. That's a fulcrum. And that's what takes place. Or another description is something that plays a central role or for a pivot point. It's a central role for that pivot point. Here's a fulcrum. You ever been on a seesaw? You have a seesaw and you have that board. And I don't know if girls did it different than boys, but for boys, seesaws were a violent thing. <laughs> I don't know how girls played, but I know as boys played. And, and it seemed like the seesaws that we would go to, you'd get splinters, it'd be missing a handle. And the object of the seesaw was to get the other person in the air and off of it. It had nothing to do with wee up and down. Maybe girls, I don't know, maybe some girls were flinging other girls off. I don't know. Or do you remember this trick? You would get on with your friend, then you would jump off so that they can just go like this. You're like, no, I don't remember that, Father Brett. You're a sick person. That's why I have Jesus. That's why I need Jesus. I'd still be on the seesaw flinging people off. And, and this takes place and, 
and what's important for us to know is it's, it's that center beam that's the fulcrum of the seesaw. That's what makes it work. That's what makes it operate. That's what makes everything happen. It's that pivot point. And what Jesus is saying, if we're willing to be the sacrifice, he's the center point. He's the fulcrum of your life, and you have to allow him in that place. And then he says, as you do that, as a Christ follower, here's what we do. We learn to love unconditionally, give generously, and serve faithfully. That's how we respond. Third thing, as a Christ follower, which he's teaching his disciples as he's calling them to himself, is that we're called to share Christ with others, both in word and deed. That this is going to be something that you share, something that you bring to others. When Jesus came to them in verse 17 and said, follow me and I will make you what? Become fishers of men that I'm going to literally change your occupation. I'm going to do something greater in your life. Because the truth is what we've got to understand is that God wants to meet us in that moment to do something new within our lives. And the Lord's more concerned about our character than he is our career. And he wants to change our character. And what he did was he gathered to himself um, Peter and Andrew, and he called them to himself. And immediately what he did was he brought them to James and John. And they would have known each other as fishermen on the same sea. And do you think possibly James and John had an easier time responding to the call because they saw Peter and Andrew? And Jesus showed them immediately that you're going to gather others, how you'll be fishers of men, that you'll continue to share this kingdom message with others in their life. And that's what we're called to do. That the Lord has, has something for your life to become in that new creation that he's calling you to be. In that relationship with him. A life that's reconciled to him with a purpose and a plan and a vision and a mission unlike you've ever experienced before. And I don't care how old you are in this room, God's not finished yet. And if you're a young child, God's got a plan for your life. In your medium age, whatever that is, God has a plan and a purpose. If you're getting older, God's not finished. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's till we see him again. So here's what I know. Don't delay. Come follow him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that <clears throat> you make this invitation. And Lord, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We couldn't be good enough. But Lord, because you saw something greater in us, you called us to yourself. And no matter where you are right now, you might have said, I'm a Christian or uh, I'm a Christ follower, but there's something you haven't laid down. There's, there's a barrier that uh, you're holding on to. And Jesus is saying, are you willing to trust me to lay down those nets? So maybe, maybe it's a renewal moment right now. God, how do I restructure to follow after you? Lord, how do I lose my life to find it? And you've got to ask him into that place. Or maybe it's the first time you're hearing about the time is now and his kingdom's at hand and we have to repent and believe and turn. But he's making this invitation to come as you are into this incredible relationship with who he is. And he's inviting you, but, but, but only you know your heart and only you can respond. All I want to do is give you an opportunity to respond for that in prayer. So if you'd like to pray with me for whatever it is right now, to know the Lord in that way, wherever you're at, just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open that door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person that you want me to be.
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed with me and, and, and you're here in person or you're online, the most important thing you need to do is let someone know. Say, hey, I prayed that prayer. I'm either recommitting or I'm making a first-time commitment to begin to walk in this call. And if you're in person, you can let a host know on your way out. If you're online, you can click a button right now if you're on our campus, and we're going to commit ourselves to come alongside of you and get you on that pathway of discipleship. Amen? Peace the Lord be with you.